seriousness, that's me again. But in all seriousness, we want to get into expecting resurrection and talking about who we are in the resurrection. What do we look like? What am I going to be like at this time where we are resurrected from the dead? And many, I just want to open up with a sermon with who we become in this resurrection with an everlasting truth that I have not brought up until this morning. And I want you to listen carefully because it's very shocking and very profound. You may need a moment to contain yourself as we consider the resurrection. If you're Rhonda or Rory for watching online, please do not close your laptop after I say this statement, okay? All dogs do go to heaven. And therefore, cats go to where? Thanks for coming this morning. I'll see you next week. I'm doing... I'm so glad. Matt and our projection back there, who's so good at this, he's like, I'm going to put an image of a cat. And I'm just waiting. Okay, please no picture of any sort of cat that I don't want to see on the screens. I'm doing this on purpose. I'm doing this on purpose. Because there's times in a statement, in a sermon, you may disagree with or may be kind of visceral because some people apparently like cats here. Who knew? And however theologically wrong they may be, it can limit... Why are you laughing? It can limit your ability to process your own theological baggage your maybe your theological upbringing, or your obsession with certain type of four-legged individual. I love cats, by the way. We'll come back to them in a minute. We are careful to not, at E3, not to, to, to push, not to push, to push, to challenge, while also at the same time comforting your view of eternity and Jesus and the Bible and all these things. And this week will be quite a run at conjecture, at theological just guesses by yours truly. I feel like Pastor Mike last week did an amazing job talking about why we have resurrection. Brought up a lot of, yeah, amen. Brought up a lot of great theological understanding. Today is a little bit more reaching into what we call mystery from a practical standpoint. But I love that pastors in the seminary, we talk about mystery a whole lot when we don't know anything about what we're talking about. So stay with me as we dive into this topic head first. Be open to wonder, to mystery, to question what we are and who we'll become in this next in the resurrection. And to be open that cats and dogs may be actually enjoying eternity together. Last week, Pastor Mike talked about the why of resurrection. And there are two main points he said. that Number one, God will redeem all things in God's sovereignty. He doesn't need my help. It does not give us also an escape hatch. And he used these two hula hoops to say that God will make all things. And it's not that there's the physical world and the heavenly world. That these two will come together. And you sitting here, are actually in the middle of this because you are literally being God's presence on earth. You're building God's kingdom here as the sermon goes on. But how does that deal then with me in the resurrection? How does God remake me? And personally, what happens to me? Questions like, are there scars that remain of what happens here on earth? If I treat my body poorly, my body poorly here on earth will be affected maybe in heaven. If I have some sort of illness, will there be any effect for my resurrected body? How does my body work? The questions we always want to ask is, will I eat food in heaven? Will I go to the bathroom in heaven? Paul writes to the Corinthian church of some of these questions in chapter 15 that Jade wonderfully read. It's a very dense chapter that speaks of hope to those that have in Christ's resurrection as a deposit for our own. Jesus' resurrection is not just forgiveness of sins, although that is true, But Jesus' resurrection, according to Paul here and the whole New Testament, is a proof of our resurrection in the life to come. 
Early in the chapter 15, Paul writes this. For if the dead are not saved, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're in your sins. What Paul is trying to convey in this chapter is that Jesus' resurrection is proof of our own hope. However, however, Jesus has some godlike qualities that we can't consider that I automatically get when I'm resurrected. For example, when Jesus is resurrected, his identity seems to be clouded until it is revealed. Jesus has this ability to transport from one place to another place magically. I don't know if we get to have that in heaven. Sorry to burst your bubbles. Jesus also has the ability to levitate, as seen several times in many of the books. Again, levitation, I'd love to do it, but maybe not necessarily what we get in our resurrected bodies. And lastly, Jesus has what we call holy scars. He has scars in his hands, in his foot, and on his side. And I often think, for a moment at least, do I have any of my scars that I've gained on earth, though numerous and won't go through all of them because that's a fun stories. But these scars, do they last for eternity? The question of our own resurrection is shrouded in mystery since Jesus is God and we plainly are not. Paul argues that we will be transformed. He uses that word often, but how? What I want to do this morning is consider our own theological anthropology. Theological anthropology. Get out your nerdy glasses, friends, because that's what we're delving into today. It sounds nerdy, but it's awesome. What makes us human in this world, and how does that transport into the theological sense? How does that transport for the eternal sense? So to help us, we have Charlie here. Everyone say hi, Charlie. Charlie is a pivotal part of E3's culture, has been around, I think, since the very beginning of time, and is obviously not full-bodied. He actually has arms, legs, and a very uh, too appropriate representation of the male body. I'll let that settle for a moment. That's why I took, cut him off at the legs, okay? Here is where we're going to go with Charlie, is that Charlie will be our guide and our model for what it is that we're going to be when we're resurrected. Charlie also loves to pop up at random places to scare the staff. It's a fun game we play where Charlie's sitting at your desk and you open the door and scream just a tiny bit, okay? Our bodies is where we're going to start. And Charlie has a body. Obviously, he's not real, but in a sense, Charlie will represent what we have is this physicality to who we are. But if you haven't noticed, all of our bodies in this room are just slightly different. None of us are, are, have a perfect body like me, and none of us also have an identical body to someone next to you because time and experiences change bodies differently. There is not one person who I think thinks about them that everything about them in the very moment is perfect. What Paul writes is that just as a seed must die to become a plant, we must give up our conceptions of what we are in a physical sense when it comes to this eternal resurrected state. He says this in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come about to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. And yet, and yet through scripture, we will not be unrecognizable. We will not be ghosts floating around on clouds and have the purest sense of humanity since the garden. I return to the garden for a glimpse of what this may look like, what God designed us to be, to embrace in our lives. And what sin does is replace that goodness with all sorts of lust, lying, debauchery, evil, greed, and pride. See, friends, Adam and Eve are living in proximity and relationship directly to God 
in the purest form. Are we naked in heaven? I don't know. But I know that I want that kind of intimacy, that type of perfection that they have initially. It is my conjecture, based on lots of reading and research, that our bodies will be eternal, which will be so foreign and yet so comfortable that it will finally be at peace. All of us have that feeling in our bodies that something isn't quite right. That's actually a theological and a philosophical proof for God. You have this sense that something's wrong, and all of us have it, then something must be what? Wrong. The feeling will be so foreign, and yet the culmination that what we have yearned for for our entire lives. And I haven't even gotten to the point that we're going to be with God physically, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit in actual physical relationship. The image of a butterfly, which was an amazing logo for our, our, our series here. Coming from a caterpillar as a process of cocooning. And here we see that in some species of butterflies that there are 50 cells, 50 cells that come from the caterpillar and turn actually into a butterfly that stay from 50 to the butterfly, which crazy enough in some species is 50,000 cells. But there's still that imprint of what will become, what will be. And though the two look nothing alike, they're evidenced both in the same moment based on their scientific makeup. Our bodies are similar to this. But escapists urge us to think that the whole body is garbage, some sort of sin sack that must be dissolved in the cocoon of Jesus to pop out an angelic being with superpowers. That's not how it works. Our bodies will be imperishable. But over and over and over in every single scripture, the disciples and every single person who followed Jesus believed they wouldn't pop out some sort of angelic super being, like from some sort of superhero movie, insert here. But they'll anticipate having an actual physical body with many of the same functions that we have now. Even Jesus eats and he drinks in his resurrected form. He is indistinguishable at times, but he's also not some sort of crazy being that would obviously scare anyone who sees him. He is very commonplace while walking down the road to Emmaus. And even the closest of his witnesses can't understand and yet can embrace him in his resurrected state, as you see from Mary Magdalene. that He is very, in many ways, still human. Therefore, it makes sense to theologically jump that these new bodies will be completely dissimilar and similar at the same time. Eternal, yet normal. Instead of waking up with a teen with acne all over our faces and our shoes too small in a mere second, our body will feel right and good for the very first time, which will be so unique but so perfect. Therefore, I believe our bodies will be used for work that God has designed them to do from the very beginning. But friends, we will no longer hate our jobs. Can I get an amen? Holy, good work was what we will take part in. Our hunger will be quenched. Our thirst will be satisfied. No more monotony and boredom, but instead we will relish in who we have always meant to be. Let me make a quick parenthetical note on this topic. That those who hear this sermon who do not live in a society where we already have all of our physical needs basically met in many ways. As a whole, 
Most of us know we can get food in certain places in the city. As a whole, most of us can find drinkable water. But there are places in human history and societies today where hearing this good word hits completely different than the guy who had two bagels and 15 cups of coffee this morning. That's actually true. 15 cups is probably what keeps me going. We will have wings. We will not be forced to sing 1920s hymns with harps. We will not be foreign or unrecognizable, but we will wake in who we were meant to be because of Jesus' first resurrection. Man, I'm ready for Easter. That brings us to our second point, the one that I cut off here, but also is kind of evident here with this nice young man, Charlie. That's gender and race. Gender and race. If you're following theologically my line of thinking, how we treat these key components of our identity is essential in our understanding of who we are in this life and the life to come. Many would like these key components of our identities washed away or taken away to some sort of sexless, raceless, identifialist human beings. But in all honesty, what if these items were the key blessings that God has given you? I also understand and I see that race For eternity with God embodies all we are in a full representation of who God is. See, we're made in God's image. God makes us male and female. Therefore, God himself shows evidences of all of what humanity is in every single race, in every single way. Interestingly enough, they did a, a study on do you have a gender in heaven? And people who make studies have probably run out of studies to make. But this is one they did. And fascinatingly enough, overwhelmingly white men believe we would be both white and men for eternity. And every other demographic had some sense or some much larger component without getting into the numbers that they would be either genderless or raceless for all eternity. Isn't that devastating? Isn't that humbling? It should be humbling. And it's fascinating that as a culture we still attribute gender, race, orientation, even anthropomorphic ways to beings that need none of those labels. Look at the screens right now. We could just make M&Ms M&Ms, but no. They have to be boy M&Ms and girl M&Ms because it's important. It's important as a part of who we are and our identities. While we know that society and the church has made gender exceptionally complicated in every single relationship too, These are essentials with our identity and our resurrected life. Labels of temporary relationship aren't key. Who am I with? But the fact that we have eternal bodies that we are identifiable are in is important. More on this in a moment. The third concept of theological anthropology is the brain. And obviously he's modeling the hat. But inside this is an actual brain inside all of us. And we have these things called thoughts and a mind And I could go into depth and have an entire another sermon, but some of you want to go have lunch at noon or maybe 11.30 or 11.15 even. So I'm going to go really quickly and say, take the body, copy, paste, remove all of the sinful natures and thoughts and replace them with intimacy with God and not a full clean swipe erase, but instead a reprogramming of what is truly important. Contemporarily, we're in a struggle 
in terms of what is the morale, moral thing to do in terms of should I upload my consciousness into a giant computer to live for eternity? And I'm here to say that from the theological, anthropological perspective, that is not being human. That's trying to play God. Our minds are important. And smarts and personality and our thoughts will be so drastically different, but it's not some sort of escapism that I don't think about anything anymore in the life to come. Fourth, our emotions, which I call biblically the heart. Emotions are important, right, y'all? Yeah. We have emotions that are holy, and sometimes we think anger is bad, so I can't have anger. But every single emotion on the theological perspective is important that God implants us. And God, according to Scripture, has many of them. And there are stories where I feel uncomfortable about God's emotions. But imagine a place where your emotions are not only valued, but they are put in the right place at the right time without sin. How different will my emotions be and yet how I've always wanted them to be. Now from this, two questions you don't know to ask but you want to ask. An earnest question about what about those that suffer from conditions that somehow distort, that change, that have problems in any one of these theological, anthropological standpoints. Maybe a disease. Maybe someone with a perceived disability. For me, it's a partial one. Well, I have diabetes or evidence of diabetes when I'm in my eternal body. And though most people say, oh, no, Pastor Scott, diabetes hasn't been all bad. In fact, being diabetic has in many ways brought me closer to Christ than had I be free from that infirmity. I always laughed because in seminary, I was walking around constantly trying to program my insulin pump. This is my cell phone. My insulin pump is the wrong prop. I forgot it in the wrong pocket. This is my insulin pump. And I'm programming this around to the point where a person who was a good friend of mine said, why are you always playing Game Boy? I go, Game Boy? What are you talking? Oh, my insulin pump. It was so a part of my identity that I didn't see that it was so essential for him that I was the guy in seminary who was constantly playing Game Boy until he got to know me a little bit better. What I'm asking is to answer Eric Clapton's song from our opener today, would you know my name if I saw you in heaven? And this delves into the next item, our soul. Conjecture here, both lots of research again, the soul is the eternal sum total of who I am outside of time. The soul is the eternal sum total of who I am outside of time. There's a great movie that came out not too long ago from Pixar called Soul. And it was a wonderful depiction of how this could look. However, the problem is, is that movies are told from the standpoint of time. That there is an actual time. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end of the movie. But if you're in eternity, does it matter about beginning, middle, and end? It is eternity. And so while I like this movie, and I think it did a great job in so many aspects, it's not quite perfect. See, in eternity, time will have no value in a sense. And yet the relationships are of eternal value. We are eternal and will not age. This new brain, this new body, these new emotions will not wear down or fizzle out or become tragically damaged. No. Instead, we see that the soul be clearly identifiable in its sense before the body. We see each other's souls in marriages, in watching a child grow from birth to adult, in seeing someone so spiritually gifted in art or skills shine 
like God intended them to shine. We see souls through so many different depictions in our world. And not just in art as well, but you can see a soul blossom through working on an Excel spreadsheet or some sort of monotonous work that you say, this has no purpose, but I have to keep doing the same thing over and over. Your soul can shine in that, friends. Your soul is so much you and is being formed and forming with each relationship in every day on this life and has implications for the life to come. My next body will not have tubes or beeps emanating from external machine giving me insulin. It just won't. But the ways in which I live my life with this disease will show in my soul. Does that make sense? Those that do not care for their soul, which is deeply intertwined in the body and the mind and the heart, and even in their race and gender, will have damaged what God wanted to remake in the life to come. You cannot live with your soul like this. You have to live with your soul looking like this. Are you soul caring? Do you spend your time nurturing your eternity? And do you share your soul with others in meaningful ways? And this deserves its own sermon. It is a part of our loved ones that immediately have relationship in the divine narrative in the full consummation of the world to come. Our souls are connected to our bodies just as Jesus had an identifiable and resurrected body, and all those that rise from the dead in Scripture, they have an identity, and that comes from their soul. These souls are affected so greatly by our thoughts, our emotions, and every experience in this life. So Eric Clapton, yes, I will know your name in heaven. But it's beyond a name. It's an eternal essence of who you are. More on this next week as to when this resurrection occurs and how our soul and body come together. But I want to focus on the last piece of our friend here. And just as our soul, we can't point at and say, my soul's here or here or here, we have to identify this thing called the spirit. With not enough time to emphasize this, there is spirit inside of our bodies. Our spirit is who we are in the relationships to those around us. It creates a spirit among the room. There's a spirit of any group of people, but your spirit is shown both in the quantity and the quality of the relationships of those around you. Doesn't care if you're introvert or extrovert, do you have a relationship with people in real, meaningful, worldly ways? Our spirit is God, is the greatest form of this, that the Holy Spirit emanates and moves through this very room in profound and even tiny circumstances, divine appointments. Ways in which God intertwines people's paths to cross at just the right time, just the right moment. It unites us not for this life, but also for the life to come. Who you have relationship, who you commune with, who you share your soul to, who you dream and mourn and celebrate and even die with affects your spirit and those around you. In every celebration of life service, there's a palpable presence of the spirit of the one who is awaiting their resurrection. But that only comes to the ones of those who gather. It's interesting, because here you're celebrating someone's life. And I've been to several of these. And the person is not physically there, but their spirit is present in every single person who enters the room. Remember years ago, a family came to me, and there was three boys and an ex-husband, and they said, we had a, a tragedy 
The, the boy's mom, she passed away in a tragic car accident. We're going to have her cremated. We just want a celebration to gather together. There's going to be 25 of us. 25 of us. I'm like, 25 people, easy peasy. Got it. We'll take care of that. Got all the, the celebration of life stuff. Got a sense of who she was in her church life, even though she had no home church. Got a sense of kind of what she believed in. I wrote up a two-page little honorarium, little eulogy, and I was expecting this would be easy peasy. We planned it right after the service on Sunday. 450 people later. Hours of people walking up with an open mic. Open mic's a bad idea. Open mic that just came out of nowhere, just descended, descended from the clouds, this open mic, out of nowhere. And you had the sense of a spirit of a woman who was thousands of times more important in her community than anyone really actually noticed. It is here where we can even sense the spirit in the animals we choose or not choose to keep company with. And while I know there's no scriptural evidence of this, it's my sense that my dogs, Tila, Buck, Bobby, along with so many other of God's good, beautiful animal kingdom, will enjoy eternity with us together, even cats. <laughs> that was a good time to amen. That was so, so authentic. That's, yeah, record that and play that. All this to say, all this to say, who I am in the resurrection, my body, my mind, my heart, my gender, my race, my soul, and my spirit are all aligned with what God created you to be without distance from God, without distance from God. See, when we expect resurrection, God is not cocooning us for something totally different. God reveals who we were always destined to be and accepts us as we are. We are God's. God shatters the voice of the seventh grade bully who never leaves your mind. God shows beauty in your body, your gender that you always seek but are never satisfied in. God reveals the spectrum of emotion that has been mutilated by societal perversions and you can finally feel joy, safety, peace, and love for the very first time in those emotional purity. And God surrounds your spirit with the spirit of others. The true church in showing that this big old party is going to be one that will truly last forever. And lastly, God restores your soul. The last question I want you to ponder with as we leave this morning is how and when does this, or sorry, is when does this happen? And where will it happen? Because those are the two questions we haven't gotten to in this series yet. We've talked about the why, we've talked about the who and what I'll become, but when does this happen and where will it be? And these two last questions are actually four because there's both the general one that occurs when God restores all things, but there's also a very personal one about where and when this will happen for me and those who I've lost. And all I can say is, please come back next week. Blessings to you as you consider how the implications of how this impacts your life. Blessings to you as you go forth from this place, knowing that you are not your own, but you are God's. And blessings to you as you go to bring the kingdom of heaven into earth itself. With that, you are dismissed and go in peace.